0: We're in the sweltering heat of Beirut, without electricity or generator power, and just enough laptop battery to process and publish this episode. And we're joined by Elena Haddad and Zena Hawa, co-founders of The Chain Effect. We discuss incentives needed to position the bicycle as a serious alternative to car usage, as well as corruption impacting all things public sector. Our conversation includes the erosion of pedestrian access and lack of viable public transport in Beirut and across Lebanon. This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, the handle The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is the Beirut Banyan. I think this is a conversation that needs to be had, and I'm really glad that I could talk to what I consider... Experts in this world. And uh, Elena, you were on Albert Costanien's show not too long ago. And I think the way you measured yourself was impressive because you're not too optimistic given how bad things are. But you're not hopeless either because anyone that can still speak about bicycle issues while Lebanon's collapsing, I think, has some built in hope. And I just want to start it with the broader picture of maybe whether or not you consider this a fundamental issue to the way Beirut eroded. And the reason I'm starting this way, I've always thought that cars were the biggest problem to the city. And I wish, I wish Beirut was pedestrian friendly. I wish bike lanes defined the city. For 15 years, I gave a walking tour in Beirut called Walk Beirut. The emphasis was on walking on sidewalks on things that we don't have regularly. And I wonder if you see this as critical. And add to that, if you see this as something we can still fix despite the country collapsing. Meaning that, can you get some progress on small things like this while the bigger issues are impacting us? Maybe I'll start with you, Elena. Um,
1: All these little things actually contribute to that bigger picture and it's it's not to go into like a big uh, tangent but like I really think that these all kind of contribute to the bigger problems we're living today so like why our neighborhoods are segregated or why um, we don't have like this notion of like public spaces why we're always stressed we don't have anywhere to go and like if we want to walk out of our house we have to go to somewhere you know like we can't just go and chill in a park or um, just take a nice walk somewhere like you know they're very limited so we have Mm -hmm. certain areas and, and I think every little action will help to unlock these of bigger things in a way this is how i think of it
0: so you think of it as small steps in other words a park or even let's say a bike lane that is administered properly that that's tangible results to you
1: it's in a way it's like reclaiming public space right it's like we don't have anything that's public yeah it's it's very difficult to find something that's public space and then the bike lanes opens another avenue Mm -hmm. of also thinking of connecting these places or commuting or like providing this like access for people to get from one place to another. Like right now, yeah. if you don't have a car, like that's it. Like you, you're not, nothing is built for you. Like you either have to use a car or you have to walk on a highway or like risk being killed or, you know, like it's very Absolutely.
0: it's startling that there's simply no sidewalks to walk in, even in neighborhoods that are not neighborhoods that should have sidewalks and they still have them, but you have construction sites built on top of them. You have cars parking on the sidewalks. I'm curious from your side, both of you, and maybe I'll turn to you, Zena. Is this maybe the frustration that led you both to start something like the chain effect? Was it seeing these kinds of things all the time and wanting to be able to walk or use a bicycle or have some form of public transport at the simplest level? And is this something personal to you guys? And I'm wondering what made you go down this road knowing how difficult it is to work with the Belediye and to even work with the Lebanese government in general, how frustrating it can be. So maybe just the backstory and whether or not this is a personal mission.
2: Yeah, it definitely came from personal frustration, from personal experiences of um, trying to navigate the city. Um, we both lived in um, other parts of the world and then started working in Beirut as young graduates and sort of frustration of trying to drive around um, was too much to bear (laughs) and we thought that there's definitely a better way to experience the city and a better way to move around than being stuck in cars uh, and being stuck in traffic uh, in a city that's like comparably very small uh, to other like capitals in the world and other major cities in the world in terms of surface area and in terms of like Compactness and all of that stuff like it's definitely made us think about other other means and other ways of moving around. We both had experiences of cycling as well, so like we wanted to bring the bicycle to the city that we live in and like move around in and see how that changes our experience um and it was also the potential like it's um it's the frustration but also seeing how how easy it is. For a city like Beirut, walkable and uncyclable, for it to be transformed into a cycling and walking city because of the way it's structured and the neighborhoods and and how like dense neighborhoods are and how easy it is to move around um, from place to place. Uh, so yeah, it was a bit of negative things and a bit of positive things that led us to create um, the chain effect. And it was all sort of haphazard. It didn't happen, you know, with a plan to start an NGO related to cycling. It started with street art because we both used to uh, paint uh, on the street, uh, paint walls about different topics and then one day we decided to paint something related to cycling um, and we decided to do it a day before the beirut marathon in 2014 it was november we chose a wall that would that the runners in the marathon would pass by of bikes in a row the message If you rode a bike, you'd be home by now. Um, and it was in Hamra. Uh, Hamra is notoriously famous for its traffic. Uh, so it caught fire when we posted it on social media, and people really reacted to it and reacted to the message. And it felt like we were starting a sort of conversation that was mostly absent related to mobility and cycling and all of that stuff. Uh, and then it moved from one wall to the next and slowly developed into other things uh, and other awareness activities and workshops. And then the thought about, you know, starting an organization out of it that does more than just that came to us. So, yeah.
0: My memory of the chain effect, and you you correct me if I'm wrong here, is uh, these, there was, I think, YouTube videos of uh, a girl on her bicycle getting a ticket, or a parody of her that this would never happen, right? That you can never get a ticket on your bike. And I I remember this several years back. Uh, Another video, I think, was a a guy on his phone and another woman on her phone. They were trying to get traffic to move, and the policeman comes to issue two tickets, violation and talking on the phone. And there's this persuasion element to use your bicycle. Use your bike instead because it's easier. It's stress-free. There's no expense per se other than the bike itself and some low maintenance. And I saw from time to time some pictures. I don't remember where, they, where they're from exactly, maybe from the chain effect, of maybe a dozen people on their bikes near mathaf biking to work. I think it was a bike-to-work day. And it didn't seem like the momentum was there even though the effort was. So there's a push to do this, to make it aware. The public awareness campaign was there, but the numbers didn't seem that high. And I'm not trying to sound condescending here. I just sort of, uh, I noticed that there doesn't seem to be much of a public appetite to use this option. And would you put this on just safety issues, that it's dangerous to ride your bike on the streets of Beirut, and therefore more people don't do it? Or is it less to do that and more just Maybe a bit of laziness, that the car is still available, and it's more comfortable, and therefore people will use the car, period. And, and not, not to discredit the bike, but more that they can't imagine going from Hamra to Ashrafi on a bicycle. They can imagine doing it maybe around their building, or on the Corniche, but not in terms of commuting. I've said a lot here, so no, I'll let you... know you hit all
1: the points. I think, like, to answer that question, like, there are so many barriers for people to cycle, and, and you referred to the Bike to Work event, and mm. we actually, like, every year we would do it, like, we saw a slow growth in numbers. Like, of course, it's not the massive momentum you would expect, but, like, yeah. first year we did it, we had, like, a smaller turnout, and then each year was, like, a bit more and more, so that was very encouraging. Mm. But the barriers are everything you highlighted. So, one, the bicycle is still perceived as, like, a tool for sport or to just like have fun it's not like a tool for commuting and also yeah. when you visualize like you said going from Hamra to Ashrafi the way our our connections are built between those two areas which are actually like Zena said super short distances you right. have this massive yeah. highway and the, the ring and you're like oh my god you know, I'm gonna die on a bicycle like you know you wouldn't even think about sometimes it. you may
0: die in your car but, on the ring so let alone a bicycle <laughs> exactly. yeah
1: but then also like so that's that and then also the safety so the lack of like um maybe not seeing the infrastructure will not encourage people so oh there is no safe bike lane or like people already drive like crazy like maniacs mm, like yeah. why would i even risk myself like it's already scary in a car but then also when you think of um this is something i i really think has to like start happening here is like the the um, the taboo or, like, the thinking towards, like, car as prestige. And, like, the bicycle is mm. something for uh, someone who has lower means. And they don't, like, they're like, oh, you really want me to ride a bike? No, like, I, I'm not going to ride a bike. Are you crazy? Like, you know, there's right. always the stigma around riding a bicycle. And-
0: is it is it stigma towards the bicycle or more to do with just the, that the scooter is considered to be that kind of problem in terms of you want me to ride a scooter around versus the bicycle? Know. Because the bicycle, to me... The reason I'm mentioning it this way is I've never seen it as a class issue.
1: I don't either, but um, but some people do. And, mm-hmm. and and we had this project which is called Bikers of Beirut that uh, we started, like which is taking fo- like photos or photographs of people that currently cycle here, just to like shed light and show that there are more people cycling. And I remember there was one story, uh, Zina, I forgot the name, but he was a father with his child, and I think he was he was uh, he was Syrian, and he he said when he told his story that he was ashamed to ride his bicycle because people will think that you know he doesn't have better means and so it's very sad that we're in a society where people are felt made to feel bad about not using a car whereas like he's actually smarter than all of them because he's cycling and probably having a better time but you know but it's it's
0: startling that it, it that because what you're what you're describing is a is real it's a small city not everyone can afford a car all the time yet there's a preference to not taking a bicycle but would you put that on just that the municipality did not take measures that are necessary and i'll, I'll give you a silly example i don't remember this maybe 7 or 8 years ago one bike lane on the corniche the silliest place to even put think the it's corniche a bike. <laughs> it's not a bike lane oh really oh okay so i'm glad you're saying that cuz it was that yellow markers yeah. which looked like a bike lane and I saw some bicycles using it, but, I mean, running into people, and it seemed like just a lost cause. Like They would never do that. So yeah, does, I mean, what is it? does it go down to just you would need to have some regulation to let people feel safer?
1: I mean, you need definitely, like, regardless of bike lanes, just in general, you need traffic control. You need to yeah. regulate, like, right now, even if you're driving car, even if you're just walking, it's, it's a hazard like you know I can't I don't feel safe crossing a road I don't feel like I have priority at a crosswalk so like that's the first thing in general like regardless of bikes or not in general we need this yeah. kind of like setup uh, for bikes but yeah I, I think like for us like when we cycle there are like there are two ways to think about this like there are alternative roads that when you drive a car you probably don't see so you think that you only have to take those massive like highways or or busier routes but if you take this the, the the quieter kind of side streets like now when we're walking around. Right, Chaye, yeah. like You know, you, you feel more encouraged to cycle or to try an, an, another means of, of mm. transport. But yeah, definitely the visual does help encourage people. I think if they if they see, like after we did the Bike to Work event, we used to hold, we used to do temporary bike lanes with the municipality. Like yes. they weren't well enforced, but a lot of people would feel a bit safer or like, oh yeah, I can cycle on this dedicated lane yeah. or, you know, so it does help.
0: Zina, I'm I'm curious from your side. So I I know that there's silly examples of bike usage. Maybe it's more maybe it's more family friendly. So you have bike Beirut or Beirut by bike. Sorry, on the Corniche, uh, you do see sometimes the occasional maybe more uh, more adventurous Lebanese on a bicycle trying to make their way across the city. But did did you have any sort of I don't want to say problems, but let's say uh, let's say was it was it a disadvantage in trying to deal with the Lebanese system? So meaning that you guys have a plan, you can implement it, but the on the receiving end, there's maybe a, an institution that's not able to see things the way you do, or maybe that it's not a priority. We're not the first people to talk about you
2: know soft mobility.
0: Uh, there have been
2: plans uh, and different projects that have been presented um, with funding for the actual studies to the municipality since 2010-2012. There is a plan de déplacement which is a soft mobility plan Uh, and then with that like a couple of different projects. So one project that links the unit to downtown uh, and lots of different things. Uh, recently, there's been someone who funded a study for another set of bike lanes, uh, and that was presented to the municipality, and there were several meetings with them. Uh, we've been talking with them related to bike to work and other projects like that, and, I mean, if there was an intent to do anything, there was a lot of rhetoric about, like, yeah, 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 it's like at 2017, where the municipality, uh, Facebook and Twitter page decided that they wanted to, um, you know, Promote cycling and encourage uh, the residents of Beirut to uh, to ride a bike because it contributes to a cleaner uh, city. But at the end of the day, like there's, they're providing zero incentive for for people to actually make that shift. Um, and it links back to the conversation uh, before about why people don't actually do it. And I think like there's, you know, Elena was saying that there are lots of barriers, obviously, but the main the sort of fundamental thing is that it it just doesn't come to people's minds. Like this conversation around like riding a bicycle for movement is just not something in people's spheres of thought because we don't have any examples of anyone doing it in front of us. You know, like we don't, all the cues that we see, all the visual and social cues that we get are about driving cars and moving around. Visually, like when you're on the streets, you have, you know, 90% of the street surface covered with metal boxes and they can sort of do whatever they want. They have free reign. They can park on the sidewalk if they want. And so as from a young age, when you grow up in this country, this is what you take in. And so cycling is not something that you just, you know, you hop on a bike and you move from A to B and that's it. Like it takes time for people to get used to it and learn how to navigate properly, like time to learn streets. Like, I know from my own experience that it took me a while to become confident cycling on the streets and like in an environment where you don't have anything that is supporting you to make these choices, neither infrastructure nor programs or behaviour change or anything like that. The expectation for an individual to decide that they want to cycle on their own without incentives or without anything, anything pushing them in that direction is like, you know, I
0: and from your experience, what would, or at least your, your your understanding of the problem, what would those incentives be? How could the municipality do that? Because I, I like the way you described it. It's, it's two things. There's an institution that's not able to deliver better, and there's also maybe a societal problem. It's a bit looked down on still, even now. And what are those incentives? And, and really, what made you break free from that stigma if you were able to do it on your own? How were you able to do it? What made you sort of push this, despite there being no incentive?
2: I mean, the cost of being driving around the city was great
0: for me to bear. Oh, oh the cost was too, too uh, high. So I'd much rather cycle and... The cost was too up. high? The cost, yeah.
2: yeah. Like, okay. For me, it's, it's a Like I cannot be in traffic in the city. It's Gives me anxiety. It's, uh, it's just a waste of time. And the bicycle has so many things that are so attractive about it, uh, and fit my lifestyle in terms of like moving around the city and um, being free, completely free, in terms of time, discovering like different neighborhoods, uh, conversing with people that you would otherwise not be able to converse with if you were sitting in your car, you know discovering all these beautiful streets and like hidden gems of the city. It's a bit like walking, but you just can go further and further out and into like new neighborhoods and create these connections between neighborhoods that you wouldn't necessarily have if you were in a car and using the main road as Elena was saying before. Like it's just a completely different experience of the city. And like you once you're in it and you experience it, it's priceless. But if you're looking at it from outside and it it seems daunting and you know, like, it requires a buildup of skill and confidence for you to get yourself in a position where you feel like cycling is so much better than driving a car from you.
0: Is it simply a matter of you have to tax cars? That kind of incentive? So, in other words, making the bicycle the preferred option, or, or for that matter, making it very difficult to bring your car into Beirut and encouraging people to use other means? i'm trying to think what incentives are at least in in our context
1: i think there are so many different mechanisms you can bring in or, or incentives and like i i try to think of like where i've seen this implemented mm, before like yeah. for example uh i lived in london for a really long time and i just want to add before answering that question What Zina was saying for me like when i moved to london i was 17 and I had only experienced moving around by car in Beirut and going there I, I had this freedom of, of mobility, you know, like I could yeah. get around anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I, I it was eye opening for me, you know, to be able to if I want, I can ride a bike, I can take a bus, I can take a train yeah. to the airport, you know, to anywhere I want and you don't and even was, need to be
0: in a car. It was
1: amazing. Ever. Yeah. And so this is like to add to what Zena's saying, like this is one of the reasons why For me like this is important and like bring being able to bring that narrative here Mm. then how do we do it of course there are so many ways we can think of but like i think you need to incentivize people like one start maybe not taxing cars but like maybe like beirut is is walkable. Like a lot of our areas are so, they're not meant for cars. Like you know, you could. I remember when I was a kid. At one point, we used to park our cars outside of the downtown area, and then we would either walk in or yeah. take those little yeah. golf golf carts. That's what yeah, we call right. them golf carts. Yeah, you so like, we, us, don't yeah. need, <laughs> we don't need, we don't need, like to have a car that goes every single place. Like right. you know, we can we can start like bringing the streets back to people. We can maybe. Uh, increase the bike market like right now like if you, there is there aren't, there aren't that many bikes available in lebanon as well so if someone wanted to shift it's very hard to find a bike or mm-hmm. even a second hand bike because the bike market is very expensive so you can think of like how to make it more accessible how to maybe uh, give, give more way for it on the streets and even when we talk about bikes we always talk about soft mobility so pedestrians and cyclists because i think it's important to also mention pedestrians and people in general not just like oh we just want to bring bikes so this is more how i'm but, but
0: let's use London as an example, since Zena, you're there as well. I'm guessing you're in London, and in, in the UK. And it, is it because it's not just that you have that option, but that it's extremely expensive to park your car in London? Or it's yeah. very expensive even to, f- to get a parking permit?
1: It's true. They make they make barriers. So like now there's the congestion charge. Like if you have to right. drive into certain zones, you pay like an enormous fee. If you want to park, it's also expensive. Right. And I think now Zena can can agree with me or not. But like I think over the past ten years since we moved there till now, I think we're seeing radical change. Like now they're shifting, they're completely transforming streets and neighborhoods. Like for example, in front of my house, there no longer is there are like two bike lanes. There no longer is there's a no, bus stop even. Right. Yeah, and yeah. if I need to someday come by car. Like, I I can't park on my street. I have to park on, like, different ones. So, like, it's... And I'm happy with that. I'm fine. Like, I'm adapting. Maybe some people might not, but I think it's the way to go to, like, really prioritize people and not the car, as Zena was saying.
0: Well, I'll ask you, Zena. Is there any ability to get the public to change their mind about bicycle while the municipality is not making those incentives available? And from your experiences, you've had some years trying to get this pushed through do you think that it has to start with a government level push before getting the public to be more appreciative or or do you see it that you can get the public to change their mind even when it's not the safest method and even when it's not the most convenient at times but the public could change their mind about bicycles at least the public transport in a bigger way but using the bike
2: i think i mean there's definitely an element of both like you can't it's, it's like they both need to sort of happen at the same time. You know, the municipality and the public sector trying to facilitate it, but also like there's room for public opinion to to shift and sort of, yeah, awareness uh, activities to help some people trans uh, transition to cycling. Uh, it will not, like you can only go so far by trying to persuade people to try cycling and facilitate it as much as you can for them without involving the public sector. At the end of the day, like, the elephant in the room is infrastructure and safety and, like, you know, public programs that support people, like, actually make it easier to cycle, facilitate it, whether it's with infrastructure or with training programs or behavior change programs, activities, around you, uh, or having direct access to affordable bikes, which we don't have right now. Like, there's a lot to work on. Some of it can be done by NGOs and, you know, private the private sector, but there's a bulk of things that you need the public sector to be involved in. Uh, and that's, yeah.
0: I'm curious from your both of your sides, and I know, Zena, you're not here, but I mean, you're probably regularly tuned in to what's happening here. And before we started recording, Elena and I were walking. It was just a, a moment. We both noticed just how bad things are getting, the electricity cutting out all the time. It took us quite a bit of time to get this started. Uh, a consequence is my lamp that is now no longer with us. <laughs> that was a very dramatic end to my very, very favorite. There's such a lovely lamp, but it's gone. It was really nice. <laughs> it's a beautiful lamp, not anymore. <laughs> but that add to the electricity problems which are persistent and we've grown up in we've never known a Beirut without electricity problems but something has become very problematic. It impacts cars. It's the long queues every gas station you wait. If you're lucky you'll get by in 30 minutes or so. If you're unlucky you may take hours and I've, I've had both experiences but I'll say it from my side as somebody who used to commute to work on a bicycle when I lived in Washington D.C. That was my preferred way of going to work and coming home. I have not thought about it here.
1: Why? Can I ask you?
0: I I actually don't... I don't know. I still, in this city, in Beirut, I still wait three hours for for gas as opposed to getting a bike. If anything, it's relatively flat the whole way. There aren't many hills. And I still don't think about it. And this is from my side, somebody who used to use a bike for, for work. And I, my instinctual feeling, I didn't think of it thoroughly, is that I just don't feel safe. If I felt safer, if I didn't think that I would fall into a jura in the middle of the road, or that a truck would bring me the end of my life a lot sooner than I expected, or for that matter... Just the, the constant stress of what it's like to drive and imagining being exposed in a bicycle.
1: Yeah.
0: Where you have to navigate not just traffic, you have to navigate, for the most part, scooters who have no respect for the law anyway. So you're navigating everything and you're outside. And it feels like it's just too vulnerable. And I think, I think that is the reason. I think that's why I think I don't that's an
1: interesting point. Like, the shell of the car maybe makes you... Although you're, you're also equally at risk in a Absolutely. car.
0: <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's... So that's from my side. And Elena, I'm curious from your side. Do you still use your car when you could use your bike? This is somebody who's invested in this whole enterprise. But would you still use your car if it's accessible and wait in line for gas, then hop on your bike... And
1: to be honest i'm the worst example because i haven't even been queuing at the gas stations i'd rather oh. stay home than yeah. go and spend 10 hours to get gas like
0: mm. and
1: we i don't know we've just tra- been trying to like figure out ways at home of like carpooling or like if we find a way like there's gas then like we all use that one car or we we optimize our trips yeah so i i don't know i don't fall under that bucket but yeah if to answer the question of if, if i'm because if I, I, if I live outside of Beirut or I'm going from somewhere else, then, yeah, I, I would feel safer in my car because, like, I have to go on a highway. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if I'm in Beirut, I would definitely prefer the car. Like, even if, you, you know, with what you described, it's actually not as bad. Like, I would feel more scared on a bike in London than in Beirut. And that's, like, personally. Well, that's interesting. Because London, it's... It, maybe because they're used to the cyclists like here you, you think that people won't respect you but actually they do like they will look out for it maybe mm. because they're used to the mobilette or the the motorcycles right. so they do look right and left whereas like in london if you're overtaken by a bus it's terrifying i i had a scare once or <laughs> like you know it's That's it's a bit scary
0: I, didn't, I never thought of that so it could be psychologically more discomforting when you have that yeah, massive I, bus next to you.
1: I think we always think that here it's terrible, but mm. it's, I mean, it is terrible, but it's not that much better anywhere else. Like, you know, it's just, you have to get on your bike and, and try. And, and it's like a car, you you check your right of way, you drive mm-hmm. carefully, like, of course it can be improved, but I don't think it's that terrifying.
0: You know, and i sorry to sound stupid here, not stupid, but a bit a bit silly saying this. I think it really, it's just knowing that even if there was a bike lane here, nobody will respect it. You will have cars zigzagging along it. You will have people parking on it as well. Of course. And it'll fade to the point nobody even knows it's there. And I think that's what makes many people that could prefer a bicycle yeah. hesitate. And its just, I know it's a shallow example, but I think that sometimes is all, that's, all that it takes is to make someone sort of, the car is still there, the car is easier. I'll wait in line. Of
1: course. I think also like just to go back to that example of what we're living today I think people are just so tired that they're not even looking for alternatives they're just trying to get by day by day so like yeah it's like I just need to get from point A to point B I don't have time to think of an alternative I'm just gonna go and queue and be miserable and I don't know I feel like no one has the energy to think of
0: I like that you said queue and be miserable that's exactly how it feels like add to that it's not necessarily I mean it's economically more sound now to not buy fuel to save more money and use a bicycle but I just don't see the numbers. I thought by now I would see these things happening on their own.
1: I mean I know it's hard to see it but like I I can talk from the chain effect like for example we've received so many recently so many messages on Mm. social media of, of young people or individuals asking us like hey I want to start commuting by bike can you please send me resources of like where can I find a bike to rent or to buy and it's actually like it's, it's more frequent than before. Like this well, so week, you, I, I replied oh, to four people already in one week. And mm-hmm. so it's not massive numbers. But, you know, slowly people are starting to think about it. Or, that's
0: interesting. So from your side, um, you have seen that bit of an increase. It's
1: not massive, but yeah, yeah it is, it is, I'm getting more questions about mm-hmm. like, where can I find a bike shop or where can I rent a bike that's affordable? Or right. uh, people are actually looking for these alternatives.
0: Um, so under extreme pressure, you do see these smaller changes happening. In a sense. Which is actually, I mean, it shows just how difficult it is to get people to choose that.
1: I kind of wish it wasn't. They weren't faced with this difficult uh, situation to have to change. But yeah, um, we are seeing some people shifting.
0: And it's a bit of a tangential question, but it's related because it's just other forms of transport. Uh, I think all of us know Train Train. I've done an episode with the previous... uh, I don't know what the word is not the owner, but the head of Train Train, Elias Malouf. Uh, we, I, th- I guess we all know Carlos Nafah in different ways. yeah. And I sense that this is a similar story and that you have somebody who's doing something a lot bigger trying to get a real network implemented. And for me, those obstacles are so immense and they're so beyond what we have at the moment that it that seems unfortunately, unfortunately, to be a lost cause. Unfortunately. Let alone the electricity that you would need to run that system and also just the implementation of it, I think, is just not there. But that is probably more important than a bicycle, meaning the economy of the country depends on that. Transport from city to city, I mean, it's something that you take for granted in many, many different countries. In Lebanon, we had it and we no longer have it. So that's something severe that's out of the... And it still has a budget. What is it? Yeah,
1: they get 30, paid.
0: Yeah, they get paid, $90 <laughs> I million. Dollars. A, there's a budget, yeah. Yeah, there's a
1: budget, and it's massive. It's, massive,
0: it's massive, massive, which is insane. And there's no real network. I'll take it one step further. Some 10 years ago, an attempt to make a water taxi route available where you'd actually be able to commute by your car by putting it on a ship going from Beirut to Tripoli or Tripoli to Saida or Saida to Jbeil and sort of using the sea to relieve congestion sounds even easier and it was scratched. There's nothing there. And I get the sense that at the end of the day, it may fall more, may belong more to corruption than anything, That there's no kickback in this kind of world. Public transport and corruption should not go hand in hand, they should be separated completely. Yet in Lebanon, it seems like that's the issue. There's nothing that they can maybe gain from these kinds of projects. And it's a bigger question, And I, but I'm from your side, Zena. Do you see it that way? That this falls into all the other problems that we face in Lebanon? That you need to get rid of corruption or you need to find some form of accountability to get the small things like a bike lane and the big things like a real network, to become part of our story once more? Or do you see it as different than corruption, that it's societal at this point, that it's psychological? And just how, how you've experienced this whole mess? Because it, it seems like every show, every episode of Albert Costinian is with people that have been slapped in the face multiple times by corruption. <laughs> that includes you. I think the
1: whole country has the been whole country. In the face. Yeah, we've
0: all been slapped repeatedly by corruption. So I'll start with you, Zena, if you see it that way or if you see it maybe a little differently.
2: I definitely see public transport and corruption as very interlinked, like wherever there is opportunity for um, yeah contracts or public sector projects, there is opportunity for corruption. It's the story of the entire country, and it's the story of any sector and every sector. And I think with transport, it's just that um, there's no clear... Like the sort of dividing up of the transport pie between all these political parties and sides hasn't—it's been sort of stagnant for for so long. So like, no, none of the bigger um, transportation projects, like the big investments, are moving forward. Um, And it's you know the same reason why the electricity sector is also not moving forward because the same people who are keeping this transportation, uh, this this sector sort of underdeveloped and in a state of decay are the ones benefiting from alternate alternative, you know, ways of people getting around the problem. Uh, mafias are institutions uh, who are benefiting from this in the same way that in the transport sector, uh, car, like the sales of, you know, red plates, red number plates, taxes on vehicles, all these things, uh, value parking services, all these, these issues these solutions or fixes that we're trying to create for an economy and a country that is so highly oil-dependent, because no alternatives are being able to be pushed forward by the public sector are also benefiting the same people who are keeping uh, the the country from developing any of these major investments that are really needed for people to be able to move around more freely and for the economy to open up and all of these things and for for also like From the transportation side, there's another very interesting dimension to it, which is this like keeping people socially separated. So if people don't have cheap, easy ways to move around neighborhoods, to move around cities, to move around regions, it makes it a lot easier for political parties and sectarian parties to sort of divide and keep societies that are different, separated from each other. So I don't go to this area because why would I? And because I need to explicitly drive there with my own car in order to access it, and it's just if you if you look at the city scale, it's the case, and if you look at the country scale, it's the case. Like a lot of the major uh, roads that cut through Beirut divide communities and divide neighborhoods very much according to sectarian and political lines, and it's it's so linked. Like it's very very hard to talk about transport without talking about politics and without talking about corruption.
0: But I'll ask you because I've I've heard that explanation used in many different uh, examples but i'm curious if you think it's that well thought through that in other words implementing a bike bike lane system or encouraging bicycles to begin with that that it's thought through in the sense that we can't do this because if we do people will mingle more do you think it's that kind of level of sophistication really and i can you can you take me there with you because i'm wondering you you've been in this You've been in these rooms, you've spoken to people that have, that have refused maybe some better ideas. If you think that they're actually thinking through these issues the way you're describing it, or if it's just collateral, that they're not, maybe they're, that that's the end result. Not that it's thought through in the sense that we can't let these people interact.
2: It's, it's not the only driver, but it's definitely one of the drivers of why um, things aren't moving forward. And it's the same reason why public, public gardens are still closed in Beirut. Why are they closed? What, like, why, why is there so much encroachment on public space? And why, why are people not allowed to use? The COVID reason is still being used, but we're way beyond this. And it's an outdoor space. And like so many other cities have taken completely opposite approaches to opening up more and more public space for people. But the, the sort of encroachment of on public spaces is very much a political tool to sort of keep people from mingling and keep people from, yeah, connecting with each other and realizing there's another way of, you know, building a society or, like, it's, yeah. Um, an example from uh, <laughs> closed doors is just, just the way, like, for example, the bike lanes were thought through when we were discussing them, that was yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah, yeah. Please, please, please. <laughs> this is, see, I live for these moments. Can you just share, without naming names, you don't have to. Feel <laughs> conver- free to name I mean, them. What that conversation is like, because I'd love to know what, what they thought and what you thought and how it how you negotiated.
2: <laughs> Plans for bike lanes were, um, they were paid for by a private uh, person um, they paid a company, an engineer company, to develop um, plans for bike lanes in Beirut. Uh, and obviously, this person uh, has connections with the municipality and is in, in discussions with them. And it's kind of a way to push forward the, the cycling agenda. And um, there, there was no real sort of strategy as to why these specific bike lanes were chosen. But eventually, uh, the first bike lane was proposed. And it was a loop sort of that goes from the municipality building all the way through downtown and around uh, Hamra and then back, and then back to downtown, basically. The study is available in the municipality. People can go and pick it up if they want to. They can request it. It's it's public now. It would be problematic to do only one because it's in West Beirut. And we need to do one for East Beirut as well because, you know, equal sides. So we're still thinking... Along those lines, in terms of thinking about strategy of where we want to put our, our bike infrastructure, we're thinking about, oh, we need one for West Beirut, but oh, maybe we also need one for East Beirut. And this is the sort of level of thinking about what we want to do. Like, like this is,
0: yeah. But may this s- is, a- is, is that why it didn't happen? So in other words, it just, you need to have two to, to start?
1: That's why a second study... They proposed two in the
0: end. Oh, they they did? It was 16
1: kilometers, two loops. So one for each side of Beirut,
0: basically. Two loops that don't necessarily intersect. No, they don't even
1: intersect. Wow.
2: I don't think that's the reason why they didn't move forward with it. I think it's just that it's a pattern of, you know, consecutive municipalities in Beirut that don't really... Like, they've had previous studies related to soft mobility and improving like walkability improve, improving access to public space, improving cyclability that have been presented to them, funded by donors like the french the uh, municipality of uh, ile de france or whatever it is lots of yeah they, ha- they have the studies, and none of them are like one hundred percent perfect in what they propose, but they're still very good things to start the conversation with if there was a will and there isn't so
1: i think we try like when you when you start meeting with all these people whether it's municipality or prime minister office or ministry of environment you realize that what's scary like is that there's no strategy like they're, they don't yeah. know what they're doing like yeah. you know there is no planning it's all ad hoc it's all oh cool I'll do this and then we'll go work on that but there's no vision and this is where you start to like worry yeah. so we tried that route of like trying to push them towards strategies or like at a larger you know, vision, level, at a higher level. Uh, for Lebanon whether it's you know for cycling or, or other things mm. so that's the first And then the second thing is um, they're incompetent. Like, if you go to a a meeting and you have the Minister of Public Works or Transport that says to you, I have no idea about anything related to transport,
0: but (laughs) I'm relying
1: on you as a civil society to tell me what I should do, like, as a citizen I felt very concerned you know like this is like
0: is that is that exactly how it happens
1: this is exactly the word he said and I it stayed like that was my my, my slap in the face of like you know I always had like still government you know it's still something you respect someone that is good that was a few years ago and then I was like <laughs> wow like zero respect for so this guy so they actually
0: said to you you should be telling us we
1: were in a at and there were so many people from Yaza, from experts mm. uh, who were presenting, like, uh, studies and plans for, like, how to rehabilitate Beirut, engineers from from uh, universities, USG, whatever. Mm. It would be doing, like, so, like, really interesting people, presenting a lot of things. Um, and then he just comes in, like, halfway through, super late. And he's like uh yeah i just want to make a statement uh you know I, I don't know any maybe he was trying to be modest but like you know that's not modesty like you just say I have no idea what i'm doing i'm relying yeah. on you to tell me what i should do so that that's wow. first thing that's scary but but anyway to go back to your point of they don't know what they're doing but they still purposefully like there are actors behind the scenes and maybe this guy who was minister had no idea but they're Bigger forces behind the scene that want us to stay segregated. Like it's purposeful that they don't do these projects because you, we saw what happened in the Sauda and like when we were all on the streets, like we met different people from everywhere and we spoke and we had this conversation going, and this is why this is the most this is the scariest thing for them. So yeah. closing public public parks, not allowing us to take a bus from here to here. Like this is all a way of controlling the narrative and still keeping us away. So it is very political. But then so to your point. I think now the way we would see it is like starting focusing on grassroots as much as we can of course we have a vision that we will think of and develop but like to get anything done like we have to push step by step like we will no longer rely on them to adopt a strategy i think uh, for my personal opinion i don't know if zena agrees no, but, but this oh, is how oh, i so
0: you, see it then, like, i'm glad you said um, this zena i'm glad uh, elena i'm glad you said that so you would not turn to the state again for that kind of not project. now um, zena do you feel the same way that you would not go down that road again
2: it's a hard question. Um, I wouldn't rely on the public sector, but I wouldn't keep them out of the sort of conversation. Like, I think mm. there there is this expectation that, you know, civil society organizations need to come to, you know, the public sector with ready projects and things, uh, partly because there's no money, partly because there's laziness, but partly also because there's a lot of lack of capacity. Like, if you think about, you know, how many engineers in the Beirut municipality or in the whatever municipality are thinking about how to design people-friendly cities? You know, how many engineers know, like, like just thinking about the capacity of municipalities, they would need to kind of sub, you know, contract this from a company. And how many companies in Lebanon can do this? Like, the public sector isn't going to do much on its own. uh, And we need to start, like, working on local, like, small projects or, yeah, tactical urbanism, grassroots things that we can do, like, in different neighborhoods. But I think it's, it's, you 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 can't forget the importance of having a strategic umbrella that all of these different projects fit under. Uh, It's okay to do a bit from both sides. um, But, and it's okay to sort of, especially in a space where you don't have much already in place, so you don't have lots of cycling infrastructure, you don't have um, lots of walking infrastructure that's good enough, it's okay to sort of have a bit of trial and error where you implement certain things, but then you kind of come back and fix them and improve them. But we also have uh, an opportunity to do things sort of from the beginning with a strategic vision uh, that brings everything together, that brings stuff that uh, a bus organization or the public buses and, and uh, cycles and walking and whatever can fit together underneath. Uh, even for us, like even just thinking about cycling, like if we wanted to come in and put in a bunch of pop-up cycle lanes, uh, but keep walking infrastructure as it is, it's kind of like, it's not wasteful, but like if someone can cycle but they can't walk on the same street safely or a wheelchair can't you know go up you kind of need to look at the whole street together and try to like if you're going to do infrastructure changes and uh, you have funding to change things you might as well just consider them under the same you know at the same time rather than someone coming in and putting in something related to cycling but then the bus person coming in and removing this cycle lane to put in a bus lane like it's yeah.
0: I, I know that we're far away from having bike racks where you can rent a bike for the hour, take it to another rack and let it off, or for that matter, having the lanes. That, oh, sorry. Sorry, Zena? We're not far at all. We we're have to stay. Oh. You're talking about bike share? Yeah. Yeah. So you don't think we're far in, in Lebanon? There are bike share.
2: Uh, stations in Beirut and in Jbeil. They're just not active You're kidding me.
1: There no. are two in Beirut. There's one in downtown and one in Ashrafieh that were installed. There was a plan to install like 14 of them or something. Um, and there's one in Jbeil. And are, are they
0: one still in there? The, in road, oh, um, are they still there? Or are they, been... I
1: think they've now removed the ones in downtown. I don't know. I haven't seen them. The last time I saw them was maybe a year ago.
0: Wow. But, but
1: basically, they never launched them. They just installed them, inaugurated them, oh. and I think the prime minister like did a joyride on it or something. Really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wonder if everything he touches. Since
2: 2017.
0: Okay, so that's. I'm glad you corrected me. Then, so if the first steps have been made, then we're still a long way to actually seeing them function in many different neighborhoods. In a way that's long term and not not depending on fleeting stability and then what we're going through now. And I know that it's going to be many years before maybe the public considers these options as necessary. If And I, I think the seeds have been planted, which is great. And every time, every time I see somebody on a bicycle here in Madame Khaled from my window, I do think of groups like yours. Because it actually does, I think, it leaves at least the impression that there's something else available. I and mean, I think that matters, even if we're not experiencing the best of times at the moment. But I think uh, I think having the, uh, the foresight is, is very important. And I'm glad you guys are still active, despite how bad things are, really. And it was very nice to see you on Albert's show, because I didn't expect that topic to come up. Actually, oh, well, about him. Yeah. I mean it wasn't politics it wasn't economics although it had hints of both but it was about the really the the passion to improve day-to-day life in the city and i think uh, i think the message is there and you guys are still doing great work and now i need to get a bicycle to own my own words and actually get on my bike <laughs> and if i get hit on the way it's completely your fault <laughs> Zena, thank you for logging in from London. Thank you for having the best uh, wallpaper ever designed in a bedroom. (laughs) Elena, thank you for seeing me in person and watching the end of my favorite piece of furniture. I'll never forget. (laughs) 270 episodes. None of this has ever happened. (laughs) So maybe I'll keep a little piece of glass and name it after you guys and sort of keep it for, for memory's sake so thank you Elena thank you Zena
1: thank you for having thank us you. it was a pleasure
0: thanks for listening and watching and a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal all links are in the details box until next time I'm Rani Shatar, and this is the Beirut Banyan